He appeared again, in the archway one hundred feet away. Just his shadowed silhouette, his form, was visible from that distance, but I knew who he was with the suddenness of a blow to the back of my head. It's the ordinary lives that are the best, and given what was about to happen because of him, I'm even more certain of this than ever. As most of us lead ordinary lives, I figure it works out right. I count myself a lucky woman to know it. I've always accepted I wasn't put in this world for any greater purpose than daily constancy to the people around me. My family, my friends, the people I work beside. I have a job to do well each day in a small house and home in a place that matters to me. I cook for family and friends at least three times a week. When I'm greedy for more, I ask God to maintain my power to see this Carolina landscape, to inhale the birch and pine forests I came of age in to feel the red clay between my toes, to taste the barbecue and fried okra and sweet iced tea native to my place. I've kept my girlish figure without trying, thank you. Maybe my one point of pride. Sleep comes easily and my dreams are rarely troubled. We all have an age we're dealt at birth, an age we hit when we are most ourselves. In men, it's more obvious— Anyone who's half awake has encountered thirty-year-old men who are sixty in their souls and will only truly feel at home when their actual age aligns with their spiritual age. The regrettable fact is the majority of men are seventeen at heart and spend their whole adult lives trying to deny it, making themselves and the families they've created miserable. Women tend to hide or ignore their spiritual age and present the world what they think the world wants to see, forever in doubt and thinking a new haircut or handbag will change who they are so that they can be at ease, which they rarely seem to be, for any long stretch at least. I was born aged forty-five, have dressed all my life with the same tasteful, conservative style as I do today, now that I am actually forty-five, and really for the first time feeling in sync with who I am and where and what I've come to. At life's halfway mark, more or less, I'm happy in my daily toil as a curator of collections in Duke University's rare book and manuscript library, grateful for my brother and sister and their children, and lucky for the few friends I have, content even in that I'm single, relying on the odd flings to make sure the old pleasures remain available and viable. There was a time for me when sex was one of the most reliable sources of unalloyed pleasure I knew, but that's faded. Age, I guess. Today, sex has become kind of like cleaning out the fridge. A bit of a hassle, but it feels really good once you're done. Again, good work, good family, good friends, and a place I love. I've seen enough of people to know that this is the best of all possible worlds, and that those called upon by God or Darwin to greatness, whether in the arts or statesmanship or any kind of public life, and certainly the very wealthy or very famous— more often than not, are unhappy. Certainly the desire for any of it, money, fame, power, is a sentence to spiritual purgatory. But I once suspected I had an actual purpose, and I write now with a renewed sense of it. To be there for M, to watch him and give him whatever he needed and now may need still. Loving him was a hard side effect of my need to fill him, to tell him it was okay to let him know that his recklessness and narcissism were necessary for what he aimed to accomplish, were part of the fuel of his ambition, and that his genuine love of the world was his own gift to those who loved him, 
no matter who he'd burn through in his own hurdle through life. There, like that, I was utterly and absolutely content the afternoon of May 18th, 2010, a warm day four months ago in a smooth navy dress, straight brown hair just long enough to keep in a neat ponytail, frameless spectacles befitting my bookish self. There I was, standing in Duke's main quad when he reappeared, descending the steps of the archway where I'd first seen him twenty-five years earlier. There I was, and then I wasn't.